0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile Podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, Steve Herzig. Steve how are you? I am great Chris how are you? Good we're back in our podcast room for another round of the Jew and Gentile podcast. We are but things have changed in this room you've been a busy beaver. We have been decorating to make it feel a little more Yiddish kite a little more uh
1: well tell us what we got here. Well let's see
0: now listen if you're listening on the podcast I'm sorry you can't see it but jump on YouTube jump on Facebook and check it out hold on everybody here we go Steve we got to end with this. Well, welcome in. Welcome in. Yes, we've been decorating our podcast room. We've been making it feel a little more like home. Definitely. I see, I see people all over the place hanging on the walls. We've got some great pictures of, uh, uh, of, uh, Theodore Herzl. Uh, we've got some rabbis. Uh, we've got pictures of uh, the the various cities throughout um, Israel. Uh, we've got our shofar here in the corner. Uh, we've got all of our 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 heroes, our little guys, our little guys, our heroes from Israel's history. We have my own Jewish encyclopedias
1: that are old, Chris. That's from 1980s. When,
0: when was when was last time you dug into those encyclopedias? A long time since the internet. Well, yeah, you don't need them anymore. I don't need them, but they look great. Oh, they look fantastic. They add some. They, they make, make it appear as though I know something. You, oh, you, <laughs> you've got all those that information in your head. That's why you know you don't need those encyclopedias. But they look good on our, our bookshelves. So, listen, uh, if you're if you're listening on on um, YouTube, if you're listening on on uh, whatever podcast uh, we have, you know, go be sure to go to YouTube. Be sure to go to Facebook. Check out our new room. You can see us. Live, we, we video record this all the time. Uh, we're going to continue decorating it. Um, it's been a lot of fun to 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 bring our podcast room to life a little bit here. Well,
1: Steve. You know, Chris. All joking aside, we needed some equipment, uh, and we wonder if people are listening. Well, not only are some people listening, but people have actually responded to make all this possible. Yes, the cameras and the things that hold the mics and all these things you've been a busy beaver but God has provided the resources we needed to get this.
0: We just love our listeners and we love the way that you participate in this. We Steve, I don't know about you, but I am surprised at how quickly uh people have gravitated to the podcast and just this is our 35th episode and I feel like we have a uh, a solid following, which I'm so thankful for our podcast listeners, our YouTube watchers, our Facebook watchers, all of it. And we've got more coming out with uh, FOI Equip and the Jew and Gentile podcast it's as well. It's very exciting.
1: Just See, very exciting.
0: Before we uh, jump into uh, uh, studying God's Word, we're going to continue our study on the temple. Before we continue to do that, I want to highlight two things, Steve. First of all, last night we had our Bridges Interest uh, Internship Interest Meeting.
1: That was fantastic, Chris. I was uh really excited. I think there were like thirty-five people on uh that Google Meet and we have people in Canada and the United States, and these are we had a doctor who is on, a professor who is on, but they're interested in God's chosen people. And they're what's striking for me is they're not only interested in them as it relates to the Bible. They're interested in doing something, making relationships, and how they can strengthen their walk with God in, in a full-orbed way, not just studying, but interacting. It's, it was very exciting.
0: Yeah, our Bridges internship, if you're if you're hearing this for the first time, it is an online internship um, where we at the Friends of Israel train you to uh, engage in your Jewish community, um, to make to, to feel confident entering into a synagogue, to feel confident confident uh, volunteering maybe at your local Jewish community center or whatever, uh, as a Christian, to show love and support, uh, to show the love of the, the Lord Jesus in your Jewish community, to make him known through acts of service. We want to give you the tools and the resources to do that. Our Bridges online internship allows you to do that, which it's free. Steve, it's free.
1: That's such a deal. But you know, Chris, what impressed me probably the most was the testimonials of three graduates uh, who were talking to newbies. They went through the program eight weeks, and they were testifying as
0: to how the Lord used that in their life. Yep. I loved that. One of the testimonies was that uh, 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 one of the young men that went through the program, uh, he went and visited a, uh, a Jewish deli, and he brought his friend along, and he learned that he was Jewish at the deli. He didn't
1: even know he was Jewish. I <laughs> he said, hey, he just come w- to me. I'm going to a deli. The guy said,
0: I'm Jewish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he had a chance to share about his faith. And I think uh, his Jewish friend even went to church with him, if I remember correctly. Just a great, that's exactly what we're looking for opportunities for God to open doors for us to to share the love of Jesus. And so that's a great, a great it, testimony. It was great, Chris. It uh, was great. So uh, that's our bridges in, uh, interest in, uh, I always get this wrong, Steve. Our bridges internship interest meeting say that 10 times fast uh and so uh that was great last night and then also we have our foi equip class yeah you wrap up on thursday Yep. We well, I do my third class for israel and prophecy uh and uh we're, we're going to be wrapping up looking at romans chapter 11 and other passages in the new testament um and then after my class uh ends this thursday next month we're going to have Lorna Simcox on, and she's going to be teaching about uh, uh, ways to share your faith. Uh, but the the class is called The Search, which is titled after her book, The Search. It's her personal testimony coming to the Lord Jesus.
1: And I hope people will be interested. They could go to FOI.org and go to our bookstore, and they can get that book and probably get it in time
0: and read it before Lorna teaches, and it should be a great great interaction. I think it'll be great. And you can do, you can register, if you've not registered for my, you know, Israel and Prophecy class, you can still come. I know it's the last class, but please come. You can come whenever you want. It's free. Um, and then Lorna's class, you can still register for that. You can do both of that. Uh, I'll register for both of those classes at foiequip.org. Again, that's foiequip.org. So Steve, here we are. Here we are. we are. We've been Talking for the past few weeks, I think we're on week five now, if I remember correctly, uh, about the temple. And we've watched uh, the, the the really the progressive revelation of the temple, the tabernacle to the temple, the movement of God in the in the tabernacle and temple. Um, we've watched we we've kind of given some definition to why the tabernacle and temple was designed by God for for Him to dwell with His people. Um, and so last week we looked at if you want to go back and listen to last week's podcast, you know we talked about the fact that. God's presence that was in the tabernacle, that was in the temple, came down in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down and God's presence dwells with us. We're walking temples of the Lord right now, which is just amazing. But there's still prof- there's still prophecy when it comes to the temple as well. And you know, the observant
1: Jewish people are looking for a third temple, uh, you and I know very well when we take a tour to Israel, we go to the Temple Institute, and there we will see all the implements for the temple. And it really segues into something that I discovered on the Jerusalem Post, Chris. Uh, Christine Darg uh, wrote on May 3rd, and we'll have our those who are interested, you have a link that they can access this article. Yeah, it's on the show notes. Okay, so we will be discussing it. And the, the article starts off by saying the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the focus of ongoing Bible history and prophecy.
0: She nailed it in one sentence. Yeah, can you, uh, you know, when we, the first time I ever went to Israel, uh, we visited a place called the Temple Institute. And it blew me away because, you know, not only do we believe in biblical prophecy from the Old Testament and New Testament, but that there will be a third temple built. But it, it astonished me that, of course, I mean, and I don't know why it did, but Jewish people uh, believe in it so much that they're investing millions and millions of dollars into seeing this third temple rebuilt. And that's what the Temple Institute showed me. It showed me the menorah that, that's ready to be put in the temple when it's built. It's sitting in the, Jewish, in the uh, Israeli
1: section or the Jewish quarter, of Jerusalem, you could walk by it. It's got acrylic glass over it. Uh, it's the, the menorah. We, we people walk by it's it's common now. It used to be such a huge deal. The menorah now, people kids walk right by it.
0: Now. I know it, it's because you kind of get the feeling, oh, that's just a, a decorative piece in the middle of Jerusalem. But the point of that large you know, uh menorah is that it will go in the third temple. They have the table of not the table of show. Maybe they do have the table of show. It's all it's all ready and it's the all incense ready. altar, everything high priestly garb. I mean, it's all ready to go. And I think that fits in with, with what uh, Christina, uh, what's her last name again? Darg, Darg, D-A-R-G. talk of, is talking about here. Like we're seeing these things. It's not just history. It's people living out the expectations of a third temple being built.
1: Well, when you and I have have visited Jerusalem, we know that the Temple Mount is the center of the world. It's the center of the world. How do we know that? Well, in Ezekiel 5 and verse 5, it talks about Israel being the center. Jerusalem is the center of the of the whole earth. And think about what we've already discussed at that temple mount. That was where Abraham took Isaac. That was where Solomon took built his temple, mm-hmm. uh, that's where the second temple was built and expanded upon, and that's what we talked about that last week, that, what is it, 130 acres of uh, square that was expanded on Mount Moriah, filled in, and a temple, Herod put a preface, a a, a big front frontage on the front of that thing, it was gold, yeah. so, it was solid gold. Yep. What an immense place,
0: and now, what's there, Chris? Now it's the Dome of the Rock. Now it's, uh, um, the, the mosque, the, um, Al-Aqsa.
1: That's what it is, Chris.
0: It's Suris. It's trouble. We had that Yiddish word. Why am I saying it's Tsurus? You're so funny. I, here I'm giving total definition to what's on top of the Temple Mount and you're just calling it trouble.
1: <laughs> it is huge trouble. Uh, it, it is, um, you could not have any more divergent views than you have in that place there are there are people all around the world who wish that you could just move that away so that you could remove it is an explosion ready to happen
0: yeah I remember um, in 2004 or 2005 when I went to Israel uh, the Palestinians were digging out dirt from the Temple Mount. Um, to build an uh, exit from the Alakska Mosque, which is one of the largest mosques in the world. I mean, it holds thousands of people. It's on the Temple Mount. And um, uh, the, the removal of the dirt that is the, behind the retaining walls uh, created some instability in the retaining walls of Herod's Temple. And you could see it, if you're on the southern steps, you could see the retaining wall starting to bulge out a little bit. And I remember my professor saying, if that thing busts because the Palestinians were digging without the permission of the Israelis, it will start World War III because of the sensitivity of that location.
1: Well, in her article, Christine Dark says, it's the most divisive real estate in the world. Yeah. Surus. I told you. It's (laughs) surus.
0: It's trouble. Uh, But Chris, Jesus. I'm not going to give answers anymore because you're just going to go, oh, that's trouble. You know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what can I tell you but
1: as as we think about uh the temple Jesus really talked about it in in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 24 he's talking about a specific period of time he's actually amplifying what what Daniel was prophesying about in Daniel chapter 9 and in and again Christine talks about that in uh, Matthew chapter 24 she cites mark 13 and Luke chapter 21 because this future temple is called holy for the Jewish people. It's the holy temple. Mm-hmm. It uh, when you go to the a temple institute and you're there, they constantly talk about the peace it's going to bring. It's going to bring the world together. And yet Jesus talked about an abomination
0: that causes de- causes desolation. What did he mean by that, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that's interesting because. You kind of have to go back in Jewish history in order to move forward into prophecy when Jesus says those words, because when you talk about the abomination of desolation, that goes back to the prophet Daniel, when even Daniel envisions an abomination of desolation, which is when you make the temple, uh, the sanctuary of God, unfit for worship. Uh, and, And there was a Greek king who did that. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus went into the temple. He did uh, a lot of bad things to the Jewish people. But, you know, one of the major things is he desecrates the temple by slaughtering a pig and setting up idols in the Jewish temple. Um, And so by doing that, he commits an abomination of desolation, which the abomination of desolation then desecrates the temple. You can't even worship in the temple. It's got to be cleansed. And so it's funny because you would think, oh, that's been fulfilled. That happened in 167 BC. You know, that's what Daniel was looking to when that happened in that time period. That's where the story of Hanukkah comes from. But it's fascinating because when Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus is giving his prophetic words about the future, he still shows that the abomination of desolation that the prophet Daniel talked about is even still yet to come. So it hadn't been, you know, yes, there was an abomination of desolation during the time of Antiochus in 167. Jesus came after him, though, right? Jesus comes after him and says, oh, there's... Very important. That's right. There's there's an abomination still yet to come. And so, and it's unlike something you will have ever seen. He talks about this tribulation period. It's uh, the great tribulation, you know, I believe he calls it in Matthew chapter 24. And so there is still yet an abomination to a temple that is yet to be done um. Uh. In the future, Jesus kind of casts it forward in many ways. You know, this whole discussion of a temple
1: still revolves around prophecy that relates to Jewish people going home. And I know that it sounds like a whole discussion on things that are happening. It's multi-layered. We have a a war going on in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and. Ukrainian Jews are making aliyah. That actually has to do in a in a small way. It's one of those things. Oh wait, that means they're going home. Mm-hmm. And the Bible talks about a mass group of Jewish people after they've been scattered going home. We might think of that taking place in a week or a month. No, it's take the establishment of Israel was such an important thing way before this temple stuff. Started and you have to put it all together. It's it can be confusing, but we want to try to limit what what's this third temple all about?
0: You know, you're talking about Aliyah and um, Steve. You know this, but I have a book coming out with Harvest House called Israel Always in December, and I've been doing some work on it. The editor had sent it back, and I was doing some work on it, and I was re re-reading some stuff in it. It struck me. You know, sometimes when you write something, you come back to, you go, is that right? Did I, is that the right number? You know, there's a lot of numbers involved. And so I wanted to double check my, my facts here. And it said that prior to the Holocaust, there were 9.5 million Jewish people in Europe, spread throughout Europe and up into the, into the Soviet Union. There were, uh, there were 9.5 million. I even double checked that number to make sure. And it's, it's, it is a solid number. Uh, 9.5 million. Well, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the Jewish population. Europe has n- n- almost no Jewish people anymore. I mean, you know, I think it's maybe a little more than a million altogether. Compared to the 9.5 million in the past, uh, it's because a lot of them migrated to Israel. They went ho- home to Israel. And if you think about between 1948 and you think about between 2000 and 22— That's not a long time. That's a lot of migration of millions of people, uh, 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 Steve, moving from Europe and other parts of the world back to their homeland. That's amazing, actually. Actually, when we take Christine's
1: article, she writes this, the Hebrew prophets all proclaim that in the last days, the exiles of Israel will return to the promised land and restoration of the temple will be the greatest ambition. That's an interesting sentence. In light of what you just said, we're actually what she is observing is exactly what you said. At one time, Europe was a was a the breadbasket of Jewish people. Poland, mm-hmm. over three and a half million people. That's part of my ancestry goes through Poland. And yet today in Poland, there's probably no more than several thousand Jewish people in all of the country because they've either been killed or migrated to israel that's why watching this war and seeing what friends of israel is doing we just got a report yesterday uh on uh jewish people that we've helped as an organization go back home but here's christine saying hey in the last days jewish people are going back and this is simultaneous with
0: the beginning of thinking of in mass of this temple. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, I, well, I remember when I was at Dallas Seminary, Steve, one of my professors who I, I admire, he said one of the, one of the uh, uh, theological components in the Bible that gave him the belief that there would be a temple in the future isn't just found in some prophecies of what would happen in the third temple, but the very fact that Jesus himself says to the disciples uh, during the Passover Seder, you know, um, I'm not going to drink this cup anymore. He gives them the cup, the bread. Uh, He celebrates a Passover. But he does say he gives a hope that we're going to celebrate Passover again. And it's not, you have to have a temple for Passover. And you have to have all the components of Passover that were around when Jesus was saying these things. And he's saying, I will drink this cup with you new in my father's kingdom. Almost saying this event that we're celebrating, Passover, is going to be something we'll honor and celebrate in the future as well. And so there is even Jesus giving this hope and anticipation, and you know, not even just a negative sense, but in a positive sense that one day there will be a temple that is rebuilt. There's a hope of a temple that will come again.
1: You know, again, reading what Christina says, she says, and while all this activity called Aliyah, we've talked a lot about that, in he- Aliyah in Hebrew is happening, preparations are well underway. Chris, you and I have talked about that to build a third temple. Over a decade ago, This is 10 years ago, she writes. Temple activists first began holding Passover sacrifice reenactments. Oh, really? Reenactments. And actually, I can remember these activities to hasten the rebuilding of the temple were talked about for decades. The notion of reviving temple sacrifices has been perceived in the past in Israel as extremism that might incite Muslim retaliation. And so civil authorities... Have refused to grant permits to hold such ceremonies, but now they reportedly review the rehearsal as another acceptable public happening. Chris, they've reenacted they've reenacted Passover killings of yes. lambs, <laughs> and it started off. This
0: is crazy. Now it's not totally so number. crazy. Didn't they used to like? Uh, don't they have a cornerstone cut and they used to haul it through Jerusalem and? You know, a cornerstone for the temple, and they'd haul it through Jerusalem to cause this hubbub and uh, a lot of tension. But there's all this preparation um, for for this coming third temple to be built. You look like you have something else you want to say well,
1: there. Well, I'm. Just, it, this is as I'm reading. I read it originally. We should have just read this article now, out loud. Now I'm reading it, again. It, it. It apparently even mainstream media have begun to accept temple preparation activities. Not as a fringe idea, but an important aspect of Jewish culture, a temple spokesman said. It seems clear one day, sooner than we imagine, that the sacrifices will happen on the Temple Mount itself, and no one will think it's an extremist event.
0: Can I say too? You know, I remember reading in in um, you know talking about the uh, Six Day War. You know, that was a monumentous moment in Israel's history because uh, between 1948 and 1967, Jerusalem was divided. The Temple Mount that we're talking about right now, where that houses the Dome of the Rock and that will house the third temple— Jewish people didn't have access to that. They were completely cut off. The Jordanians controlled it. But in 1967, during the Six Day War, Israel not only pushed back Egypt and pushed back, uh, Lebanon, Syria, and, uh, they pushed back Jordan. And by pushing back Jordan, they took the Temple Mount. And I remember there, there, there are these, speaking of pictures, there's these great pictures of these three young paratroopers at that time that are standing in awe as they're staring at the Western Wall. They're staring at the Temple. They've not seen it in a long time or been able to approach it uh we'll have to get that picture for our i was just thinking for our podcast room here standing at
1: that wall uh rabbi gore blows the shofar uh there are soldiers who have just uh done heroic acts who have conquered the enemy and they're in tears they're in tears they're in tears they're crying they, they can't believe we're at the wall. If you, you can hear the audio, we're at
0: the wall. We're at the wall. It was exciting. They are
1: back there. Who would have thunk it, and it happened? Well,
0: and, and that becomes a big part of what we're talking about as well, because I'm sure there was some, some you know, well, what happens now? Now we have control of the Temple Mount. Prior to that, the Jordanians had control of the Temple Mount and East Jerusalem. Well, now we've kicked the Jordanians out. So now that we have control of the Temple Mount, I'm sure that there was some feelings of, well, what do we do now? And I remember, uh, Levi Eshkol, um, who was the prime minister at the time, he had to make that decision that they would uphold what the Declaration of Independence of Israel had, had promised. Uh, which was to keep status quo with religious sites. So instead of, let's go up there and tear down the Dome of the Rock in order to maintain peace, to try to build peace with the neighbors around them, they opted to follow what the declaration their declaration had said which is to keep status quo so they didn't touch the dome of the rock oh they started chris oh did right they when,
1: oh when they first came when they first got there one of the rabbis started to drill because he thought he knew exactly where the tabernacle oh you're was. kidding what? with me and that's oh, I didn't why know that that's why three days later they stopped that and they they held to what their constitution said keeping status quo, but you can actually go. So with, he
0: went up there, like the the moment that it happened, he goes the up ra- there with a drill and starts. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, one rabbi testified that he could.
1: He put a mirror there. He because he could, didn't want to look directly at the Shekinah. We talked about Shekinah. Yeah. He said he he saw it through the reflection of a mirror. He said I know exactly where the Ark is, the Ark of the covenant is, uh, but uh, it had to be they. Plastered it back up, and that's been that way for a while. Zygazunt. live and be well.
0: <laughs> I'm. I'm that's sure. what that's what I think about that guy. At Zygezund, well live tell him well. what you did, Chris. because well, that's relative. <laughs> I just hit a button. I've got Steve. I've said this last week. If you're if you're listening, we've got some of Steve's great sayings on here. Oy, these that's mirror. that's another good one for what we're talking about <laughs> here. But when I think about that guy going in there with the mirror and he's drilling, and it's you know at, at the dome of the rock, just Zygezund, live and be well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure
1: the uh, prime minister was not saying that, no. as we already said. That no, this because... is what he was saying. <laughs> I, 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 I. <laughs> I'm sure he did. But, but Chris, as we think about this, uh, there is going to be a person who comes on the scene uh, who is going to unite the world uh, and bring peace to this place that has... It's, it's kind of crazy.
0: If they're going to be able, the, you know, to, the Jewish people will be given permission um, to rebuild a third temple. All that anticipation that we're seeing right now will be worked out as what we believe what the scriptures teach to culminate in a third temple that will exist during the tribulation period. Um, you know, I, why, why does a third temple need to be built, though, Steve? What, what, what's the point of it? Well... The rabbis discuss who, what comes first: the Messiah or the temple? Oh, yeah, this is a great question.
1: It's, it's, it's. Do we build the temple to bring the Messiah, or does the Messiah come to bring the temple? They discuss this all the time, and as we view future prophetic truth, we realize that any time uh, the church will be raptured, taken away, there'll be great confusion then. Uh, we don't know when the war of Gog and Magog is. Uh, some people believe it could be before the rapture. I don't take to that. I believe it will have uh, a an effect upon uh, after the rapture for the tribulation and uh, where the Antichrist will rise to power because he'll solve that problem of Gog and Magog. Well, he won't solve it. God will, but he'll take the credit. Yeah. All, that's, all that, without trying to bring confusion here, the idea is that there's going to be an a Antichrist or, from their point of view, this wonderful person who's going to bring peace. They'll be able to sacrifice again. The Jewish people will have a place to worship, and the the uh, issues or surahs with the Islam probably will be calmed down because of what happens in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So... The temple is important because it will unite the Jewish people. They will uh, look to this temple as being a a means and a way for the people of the world to have peace,
0: and the Antichrist will be in favor of it, 100% in favor of it. There's a lot of people, Steve, that don't believe that this is going to— a lot of Christians, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but a lot of Christians that don't believe this will take place. Um, What would you say to somebody— you know, who goes, ah, I don't believe that. I I, I don't believe that there'll be a temple, a, a third temple, or, you know, it's done. You know, Jesus came. He, he said, uh, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it up again. You, you, what do you say to somebody, you know, who's who's asking those questions and and you, your response to that? Usually my response is this. I'm here.
1: I'm here. I'm Jewish, and mm-hmm. I'm here. They Time and time again— We were supposed to be destroyed, and I'm here. Miracle. The land of Israel, 1948. Chris, we've talked about it a million times, but I'll do it a million and one. Nobody thought there'd be a reestablishment of Israel, Mm -hmm. except the Scriptures. And our people, that being the founders of uh, Friends of Israel, they believed it why because of the scripture we we've read verses uh like Isaiah where it says they're going to come from the north they're going to come from the south they're going to come from the east and the west and reestablish Israel so Israel proves that what God says is true and so this abomination that Jesus talked about is just as true as the establishment or the reconstitution of Israel. Mm. So if somebody says they don't believe it, I say, I I understand why you don't believe it. But every single time in in biblical history, when it seemed that it wasn't going to happen the way that you might think,
0: God gives certain promises that are true. You know, I kind of want to go to that passage um, in 2 Thessalonians, because I think that's a good one too, Steve, when it talks about, you know, when we're talking about a future temple, um, because... Paul kind of gives us a vision of the future and why a third temple has to be built. Um, and you know, I think it's important to know too that you know when Paul was ministering, there was a temple. Uh, there was you know this. It was, I don't think Paul thought that oh, this thing's going to disappear. You know, or that, he was Jewish. He, he there were even the, the the apostles. They all did their teaching and their ministry in the temple in the early church. Well, and, Chris, before you read that. Do you realize that there's six
1: hundred and thirteen mitzvot in the Bible? Yes. I'm glad you're bringing this up. And of those, two hundred of them, that's one third of them relate to a temple that does not exist right now. Yeah. Which means that in order for the for the law, for the Torah to be fully implemented. You have to have the temple. That's why the religious Jewish people want one, because they want to complete, they want to be able to follow all the law as prescribed in the Torah.
0: Because you can't follow all 613 if there is no temple to to abide by. We can't do it
1: because of our hearts, number one. Right, of course. Uh, and, And we've talked about that. But even if you could, you couldn't
0: because there's no temple. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, Paul says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So here, the Apostle Paul is kind of setting a, a a a prophetic vision for what's coming in the future. That there will be a temple, there will be a rebellion that takes place. Uh, that a man of lawlessness, which we believe is the Antichrist, will ultimately break that peace treaty that was signed, and he will walk right into the temple. So you know, all this peace is uh, uh, is is. Uh, being seen around the world uh israel feels comfortable to build a temple um and there are events taking place there and then all of a sudden that antichrist that man of lawlessness walks into that temple and says you're worshiping the wrong god i'm god which becomes the abomination of desolation and jesus talked about that in matthew chapter 24
1: and that's when he gives a warning to his people uh Ladies, if you're pregnant, you're in trouble. If it's Shabbat, you're in trouble. You got to flee. You got to get out of there. And in order to understand that better, the Apostle John wrote in the Book of Revelation, which talks about that period of time and the unprecedented uh, tribulation. That's, you know, Chris. It's funny because there are people who don't believe. Uh, they don't believe that there's going to be a tribulation, and they and for those who do, they they. They say the church is going through it. Uh, I find it interesting because in Jeremiah chapter thirty, it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. Yeah. Now here I'd be happy, Chris. I'd be happy, happy to say, oh no, it's not Jacob, who's Israel. We'll be happy to give it to the Gentiles. You could you could have it. You want the Ciros? Live and be well with Cirus. <laughs> but no, the text says it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Yeah. Uh it's ours. Uh because of our issues. Uh and that's that's why that period of time is where God's going to focus on Israel, his chosen people, the apple of his eye to bring them to a point where they will receive the Messiah.
0: That's right. There's a I like the I always like the way Daniel puts it at the very end of Daniel. He says that uh the stubbornness he'll break the stubbornness of his people and in doing so they will receive Jesus as their messiah or they will you know they accept the messiah but the stubbornness which is that stiff you know stiff-necked hard-hearted component of no 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 i'll do it my way i'll do it my way and then god breaks that stubbornness and that's a that's not just for jewish people that's that's for me breaking my stubbornness and breaking my Rebellion and breaking my sin and breaking my transgression, all of those things. Uh, it's just a fresh reminder that God says, when Daniel says, when will all these things take place? He goes, Well, when we break the stubbornness. And it's of my true.
1: People. But Zechariah gives the hope. We look, you have to say it. I could say it. We are a stiff necked people. It's it's yes, we are examples to what Gentiles are, but that's what God says about us. But the text in Zechariah says, they will look upon him whom they've pierced. Mm. And mourn. Mm. They're gonna they're gonna repent. They're gonna fall to their knees. They're gonna recognize that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, and they will grieve. Uh, that grieving will help them turn
0: to uh Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. That's amazing. And so, you know, I think this wraps up our conversation on the Third Temple, which I just love. There are so many great resources out there right now. Uh Steve, there was a book that Randall. Price had put out years ago about, oh, ready to rebuild. You know, I feel like well, next time we see Randall, we're going to have to ask him to update that book because I remember getting that book years ago and it was enlightening as to what's going on. And this must have been two decades ago uh, that he wrote this. And yet it's still very applicable today because there's still that heart. There's still that passion, and what we're learning is that uh it's growing among the Jewish people uh, to rebuild a temple. So uh, there's a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, we're going to actually continue our study next week. We're going to be looking beyond the third temple. There's another temple coming. Ay, 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 another temple. How many temples can we get here? But this one is big. This is the one. This is the big one. This is the big one. The big mocker of
1: the it's, temples. It is the mocker
0: of all mockers. Well, Steve, what's going on in the news?
1: Well... Chris, uh, uh, our assistant, uh, Laura Coleman, uh, she loves looking for articles. She's the best. She, she's passionate about finding things that are of interest. And usually she figures if she's interested in it, our listeners will be interested. And she passed an article to me from the New York Times. And it's titled, How to Pray to God When You Don't Believe. Yeah, this is good. Oh, it's written by Scott Hershovitz. Who's is he, a, he Jewish? Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Is the Pope Catholic? Well, Scott is a law professor at the University of Michigan, but he's not just a law professor, he's also a philosophy uh, professor. And he's writing, it's, it's really a great article. And I, I identify in a, in a lot of ways. One of the things he's looking at his son, his son's named Rex. And his son is bar mitzvah. He's going to be bar mitzvah. That takes training. You have to train them. And usually, in in, uh, Jewish people in the United States and Canada, Western world, they usually uh, uh, send them to a school, a special place to learn all the various things to read your Parsha of Scripture, yeah. your portion. Yep. Uh, it's a biggie for a 13 In Hebrew, boy. too. In Hebrew. Yeah, it's a big deal. And, man, the pressure is on because you want to pronounce all the Hebrew words correctly. You're sweating bullets. I remember when I did it. Well, the question he starts off with, he says, The world is awful at the moment. That's his opening sentence. And it is, Chris. You and I have talked a lot. We've had COVID. COVID is awful. We've had um, uh, war. Ukrainian war is going on. So he starts off and he he talks about there's a lot of death, destruction, and desolation. The three Ds, there is. And so his his son asks the question, why why do I get bar mitzvah when I don't even believe in God? Mm. Think about that, Chris. That's his 13-year-old son asking that question. And so he writes... Why do we pray? And so his son's question came to him, and he said, wait a minute, I celebrate Passover. I fast on Yom Kippur. Why why do I do this? Chris, he illustrates, uh, he's an example of what thousands of Jewish people go through because there's thousands of Jewish people that don't even believe in God. But he comes up with this sentence and you can't, I read the sentence to you before we came on. I know I had. To. So I want I want you to talk it through cuz I wasn't
0: I didn't do well enough in school to understand what this. What's he a philosophy professor? He is a philosophy yeah.
1: professor. And here's what he says. I think that for real God is pretend. So let me let's slow. I think for real God is
0: pretend. And for pretend, God is real. The only way I would ever understand this is because, like a five-year-old, you walked me through this. From what his example was, uh, which I think you should tell the audience because, um, I like you said, Steve. I don't. I think this isn't even the way that some um, Jewish people think. I think this is the way maybe a lot of nominal Christians think about god as well in prayer but go ahead why don't you explain what that means
1: well he he talks about what philosophers call fictionalism it's Mm an ism you know we have catholicism judaism this is fictionalism and so he gives this example suppose i say dumbledore teaches at hogwarts now if our listeners aren't familiar i i've never watched harry potter i know a lot of people have uh if that was a claim about this world he says it would be false because Hogwarts doesn't exist here and neither does Dumbledore so he can hardly say hardly teach there but they do exist here's he says they do exist in a different world yeah and that's the fictional world that's the world he says that Harry Potter lives in so the sentence Dumbledore teaches at Hogwarts is true
0: in that fiction yeah because you know when my kids watch shows steve it's pretend and um they identify with the characters and uh they identify with the setting you know when they see a marvel movie or something like that
1: chris isn't there isn't there these places that people dress
0: up oh my Uh, (laughs) you You mean where the guys go and they try to find a date but they never can at those marvel you know whatever i don't know but that you know what i'm talking yeah they they live out these exper- the the fictional experiences they live them out it it becomes it's not that it's real like my daughter knows that wonder woman uh is not real but she Identifies with the movie while she's watching it, and she wants to talk about it, and she wants to, you know, did you know she did this and this and this, and you know, it's almost like she's talking like it actually existed for her. So I, I can see what he's saying. I, I
1: understand. It takes me back, Chris. Right before I got married, it was September of nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, I uh, I didn't have a car then. My wife was future wife was in Connecticut, and I went to visit her, and I took a bus back uh, back to. Uh, Atlantic City, where I was living, and it stopped in New York. And Chris, I, it stopped in New York, and these people got on the bus who had just gone, I never heard of it before, they had gone to a Star Trek uh, event.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: And a person sat next to me. There were people dressed up like Spock and like Captain Kirk, and this person sat next to me, and he said, I just got a blueprint of the Enterprise. what? (laughs) Zygezun, live and be well. The, the fictional, they want this world to be real. Yeah. And what, what the professor, what Scott wrote is that, listen, in this fictional world, God is real. So I pray at Yom Kippur because I put myself in that world. It's a place that gives me peace Mm. and it gives me calm. And I think I fast on Yom Kippur, I celebrate Passover, and my son will have bar mitzvah in, will be in the real world, but we will be fantasizing about what this
0: religious world looks like, and it keeps us community, it keeps us together. Can I loop it back around because, you know, we're, we're giving some credence to what this guy is saying but at the same time i hope not no no but i'm (laughs) saying we're 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 helping give some definition to what he's trying to say maybe that's the best way i can say it but at the same time you know we actually have an answer he didn't have to write the article you know there's a he start the way he starts the article off how was it again steve the world is awful at the moment yeah amen he should come to our eden to eden uh, prophecy conference yeah actually to me it gives it gives weight to it. it kind of his whole argument falls out from under him because god spoke to the issue of suffering it's not that's what i love about the bible i'm holding the bible up everybody right now if you are watching online the reason the thing i love about the bible steve is that it doesn't lie to us it's not sitting here saying you know everything is perfect Everything is fine. Whatever issues you're dealing with in life are just because you, you're you an idiot and you're stupid or you made a bad, you know, whatever. It's that, you know, God speaks to the issue of suffering over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. It's a very real, you know, uh, 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 text that deals with the issue of suffering and mankind, which all gets rooted back to the issue of we disobeyed God. We, you know, it was perfect. It was, you know, there were no problems in the world, and we brought them because of our disobedience to God. That goes back to Adam. That goes back to Eve. But to sit there and go, oh, it's all, per-, you know, it's what was his line though? It's real, but it's pretend, and it's pretend, but it's, it's fictionalism. He calls it. Right, he calls it.
1: I think that for real, God is pretend, and for pretend. God is real. Yeah, and
0: that's the thing is we don't have to pretend. It real life is hard. And God tells us it's going to be hard, you know. It's a part of the curse of sin. God didn't lie to us. It's very real. In fact, it's not fiction at all. It's God's word. It's speaking to us and it's actually telling us if we turn to him, we can live an abundant life today. That if we turn to Him and repent and follow Him, it doesn't mean all the problems disappear. As a follower of the Lord Jesus, as a as a believer in God, it actually means that there's still suffering. We still feel pain. We still we still cry. We still feel uh, uh, emotional loss. Um, we still feel abandonment. We still feel these things. Um, but that doesn't mean god is pretend in fact god spoke right into it and says i identify actually with my suffering that's why i sent jesus my son to take that pain to take that sin to take all of it so that one day like you said steve eden to eden you could come back to the place where there are no more tears where there there is no more shame where there is no more guilt Because it's not fake; it's as real as could possibly be. So, you know, I guess in his mind, he just thinks, "Well, if God is real, then everything must be perfect." Well, Amen. But that's not God. That's the problem. Is not God the problem? Is us? You know,
1: Menno Kalischer, who pastors a church in Jerusalem, uh, he's with friends of Israel. He talks about the fact, you know, in the Bible. If you had chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis, and then chapters 21 and 22, what a great story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just four chapters. Yeah.
1: But but in fact, starting in chapter 3 of Genesis and going all the way to chapter 20 of Revelation is the, is the way God solves what happens in Genesis chapter 3. The problem is created, and now it's got to be fixed, and God has a plan to do that. Thus, the Lord Jesus today, we could say, is our blessed hope.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, you know, I, I just when I re- when you were sharing that with me and you were talking it through with me, I, I understand what. And I, you know what? I'm actually glad that he doesn't just abandon it all. You know, good, good for him. Good on him for keeping the course because you know, at maybe at some point, it, God will enlighten him to the truth. Maybe he'll hear something. Maybe the Spirit of God will work in him and draw him or wrecks his son and. And maybe there will be an understanding of, well, God does speak about suffering. It is real. That's why Yom, he says he goes to Yom Kippur. He fasts on Yom Kippur. That whole issue has to deal with sin and making a correction with the holy God. So anyway. I, I've had this issue
1: many times. People come to me and ask questions. Why Why do the Jewish people do that when they, they don't even believe? And I say, well, why do priesters come to church on Christmas and Easter? Yeah, exactly. But they have the same opportunity then. Because if they go to a Bible-believing church that on, a, on Easter or Christmas, they can hear the good news and respond. Yes. So there's that attachment. He has an attachment to the Bible, to the Jewish scriptures, which if he reads it, hopefully can lead him to the truth, uh, and he'll believe it. Same way Gentile Christians who don't believe, but they come for tradition, they hear the Oh, news.
0: I've been, I've had conversations with friends who, you know, we talk about the resurrection and they... Go to church every Sunday religiously. Oh, I don't I don't really believe that. Okay. <laughs> That's you know, that is the essence of Christianity. You don't believe that, then you're not in the, you know, you're not in Orthodox Christianity anymore. Well, it's okay. I go because of tradition. Oh, all right. You know, but they wouldn't be the first ones. No. John chapter eleven, Lazarus come forth. <laughs> Lazarus come forth.
1: And he hopped out of that four days he was in that tomb, and there are people who saw it? They were excited at first, and then they went, eh, you know. Yeah, interesting. They, they forget fast.
0: We do forget. We all forget fast. That's why God says remember. We just learned that today in uh, chapel at Friends of Israel, talking about God calling us to remember who he is. Remember, remember, remember. All right, well, Steve, anything? I don't think we have anything else on the news, or do we? No, that's that's it, but we are now going to... Here we go. Going to the Yiddish word of the day, everybody. Steve, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to let you say this Yiddish word because it's. I'm scared to say it.
1: Well, Chris, we just heard from this professor. We read the article where he says, I think that for real God is pretend and pretend God is real. That's a Bubba Miser. Bubba Miser. A Bubba Miser. That's a wives' tale. That is craziness. Don't believe it. It's Meshuggah. It's crazy. <laughs> a Bubba Miser is a, is a fairy tale. It's it's going to a Marvel movie and believing that it's true. It's a Bubba miser.
0: It's a story. Can I it's Bubba Miser. 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 Yeah, yeah. Bubba Miser. We have But you the, gotta say it so fast. Bubba Miser that it's That's all one right. word. It
1: just kind of slops together.
0: And it's a fairy tale, an old wives tale. That's right. Okay. That's right.
1: When somebody uh when somebody's re- okay, a fisherman. Okay, I don't know if there's any I'm not a fisherman, but you know the, the reputation they have. Oh, the one that got away. You should have seen how big it was. <laughs> ah, it's a bubba
0: miser. You're just telling a story. You never had the thing. I like it. I like a uh, Bubba Meister. Okay, well, we have that word on our show notes. All the news that we went through today are in is in our show notes as well. If you'd like to go through and read the articles yourself, especially that one from the Christian from Jerusalem Post, Christina Daug. Is that what it is?
1: Christina, uh, yeah, yeah, you got me. Christina, D-A-R-G, Darg. Darg.
0: Yep. Christina Darg, if you want to read that. All those uh, links are on the show notes. You can go to uh, to our website, um, F-O-Y-Equip, uh, dot org, and you can find the Jew and Gentile podcast there. Hey, you know what else you can do is that you can actually find not only the Jew and Gentile podcast, but you can also find Ty Perry's podcast, which is sponsored by FOI Equip as well, which is called the Gesher podcast podcast and he does a fantastic job of having interviews with the with with Jewish people, with pastors, uh kind of building the bridge. That's what Gesher means. A bridge. You see, Ty only needs himself. You and I, we have to we have to hold each other up to get through this. I don't know. We're like crutches for each other (laughs) through this thing. But Ty can do it all on his own. He's fantastic. I encourage you to go to FOI Equip. to listen to him. Well, Steve, it's been a great Jew and Gentile podcast, episode 35. Thank you so much as we uh, wrap it up and uh, we put it in the books. uh, We're going to be continuing our study on the temple next week. Hey, if you haven't already joined me for my class, go to FOI Equip right now. Register for Israel and Prophecy, or maybe you've already registered and you want to get signed up for the next one, which is Larnas' class to search. All that can be done at FOI Equip I want to thank you so much for being with us at the Jew and Gentile podcast. Steve, any last words? I got nothing. All right, then.